This week on Heads and Tails, Corey Weissman talks about how he went from being a thousand point scorer as a high school basketball player to working his way back on the Gettysburg College team after suffering a stroke in his freshman year. This is Kevin Som, you're listening to the Heads and Tails Podcast. We share stories of perseverance and inspiration in sports and in life. Thanks for tuning in to episode six of the Heads and Tails podcast. Today we're interviewing Corey Weissman. He's a, a former college basketball player who suffered a stroke, and he has a really inspiring story that I think you guys are going to enjoy. And he's also currently an athletic training student at Seton Hall University. Corey, can you start off by giving us a little background on your athletic career and kind of how you, what sports you played when you were growing up and how you got into basketball and what position you played and stuff like that? Yeah, sure. First of all, I want to thank you for having me today. I'm um, really looking forward to it. Uh, I enjoy telling my story anytime I have a chance, um, and this is a good opportunity, and I really want to thank you for that. I appreciate it. Oh, no problem. Um, but yeah, so I grew up playing sports, all sports, basketball, soccer, baseball, golf, you name it, I played it. And sports is pretty much what defined me growing up, is where um, it was like a safe haven for me. Um, I, I could t- turn to sports anytime I needed if I was ever upset, depressed. Um, you know, sports was always the option, primarily basketball. Um, but from a really young age, I was probably five years old when I first started playing organized basketball. Um, so young, nice. Yep, yep, very young. So that was my that was my childhood. It was primarily sports. Was, was basketball your favorite sport? Yeah, by far. Yeah, I, I started when I was younger. I played basketball and soccer, um, and then basketball took over um, probably a couple of years after I started playing both of them as my primary sport. What was different about basketball that you, you liked it more than the other sports? Uh, it was pretty much, I, I like to think of it as my best friend. So it's kind of like when you meet someone, that person you've been friends with ever since you were a little kid. Right. And you, kind of, you guys kind of just hit it off from the start and you felt comfortable with that person. And you could joke around with that person and talk to them about anything. Um, a little bit different, but that's how I kind of viewed I basketball feeling, was yeah. right from the start. This is, this is me. This feels good. You know, I could go to it anytime I wanted. Uh, basketball was like a best friend to me if like I said if I was ever upset depressed I can go outside and play basketball that's something that was never too busy for me it was always there for me so that was one of the positive things what do you love most about basketball um I mean I love the competitive nature about it just like any sport uh you want to be the best um but like I said I just get an incredible feeling when I have a basketball in my hands and I'm outside shooting around. Uh, I get more joy out of spending two hours outside shooting basketball than I do watching a good movie. Right. Awesome. Uh, so what position did you play? What kind of stats did you have in high school? And what awards did you win? Well, I was actually a 5'9 center, shortest center in, uh, no in all of America. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I was, I was a point guard, 5'9 point guard. There you go. Um, I, I made up for my, uh, for my height with some quickness and uh, some, shooting, some shooting ability, nice. um, but yes, yeah, so I, I was a point guard. Um, I did lie. I have to say, I lied on my uh, all the rosters. I was listed at five eleven, but that's kind of a basketball thing. You always add an inch or two to make yeah. yourself look better. Um, but I'm now that now you. that my career is over, I say that I'm five nine. <laughs> I'm okay with that. That's, right. a, that's a decent height. <laughs> that's funny. Um, so you were a thousand point scorer in high school, right? Yes. So. Did you start as a freshman or sophomore? Or? No, I actually, my freshman year, I played um, primarily JV. I played a little bit um, freshman, but primarily JV. And then I played in, I'd say, eight 
um, varsity games. I never scored a point. Um, and only a couple minutes at the end of the game, uh, I, I was a lot shorter my freshman year. I was only 5'5". Five five. I had a growth spurt um, to get to that huge stature of standing tall <laughs> at 5'9". Uh, my sophomore year. So really, my varsity career started sophomore year. Okay. Um, so I didn't score a point until sophomore year. So were you all county, all state, all... Um, no, I wasn't all state. I was all county um, and all conference. Um, but yeah, no, not all state. How many kids uh, or how many basketball players at your high school had hit the coveted thousand point mark? Uh, I was actually the ninth person. Now I believe um, it's been uh, it's been six years since I've been gone, but I think two or three people have done it since then. Um, but when I was there, I was the ninth person to do it. Um, but it was pretty cool because looking up at the board, it tells you what years um, they got the points from. Right. And I was the only player to uh, get the thousand points in only three seasons. Most That's other, impressive. Yeah, most other have players four years uh, took four team. years. Yep. That's awesome. What kind of like characteristics do you think it takes to become a thousand point? Like help you become a thousand point scorer? Was it like did you were you always practicing? Were you always like in the weight room or? Was it the work ethic or? Yeah, I mean, I think I think work ethic really uh, is the most important thing, regardless of what you're practicing or what you're doing in life. Uh, it was re- it was my work ethic that got me to uh, be a successful basketball player and score those thousand points. Uh, I mean, obviously, I was, I was fortunate. I was blessed with some uh, athletic ability, uh, but there are so many people that are. I heard a quote. I like to say this quote. Um, I heard a quote when I was younger by a basketball coach. Uh, his name is John Wooden. Um, I'm sure a lot of people know who that is, one of the most successful college basketball coaches of all time. Um, He said that nothing will work unless you do, uh, just in case anyone didn't hear that, I'll say it again. So nothing will work unless you do. Um, And that really stuck with me. It was kind of like, you know, when other people my age were sitting inside playing video games and watching movies and watching TV, um, you know, my goal was to be the best basketball player I possibly could be. So I was outside working on my game. That was the only way I was going to be better. Right. Um, so, yeah, so I think the, the work ethic is really uh, the most important thing, and that's, that's really what led me to a successful high school career was making sacrifices. And, again, I, I say that really um, that can relate to anything in life that you're trying to do, any goal that you're trying to accomplish, uh, whether it's an instrument, whether it's schoolwork, whatever it is, a job, um, making sacrifices instead of watching an episode of, um, your favorite show, maybe going spend out some drinking spe- with your buddies, right? Or, right, yeah. drinking with your buddies. You know, that's just wasted calories. Um, <laughs> you could be, you know, working on your craft and trying to achieve whatever goal you're working towards. Awesome, that's a great message. Uh, can you kind of transition into your story about your your stroke? And can you start when you were starting to get recruited by Gettysburg? Yeah. So um, my my senior year, uh, I started to get some talk. Some uh, some college coaches contacted me about going to, you know, going to play basketball for them. Uh, I chose to go to Gettysburg. Uh, it was a combination of a good academic school uh, as well as a good basketball team. Um, and my freshman year at Gettysburg, I found myself in a situation I wasn't really used to. I was actually sitting on the bench. We were really good. Uh, the year before I got there, they made it to the Sweet 16 of the NCAA tournament, the oh, Division wow. Three tournament. Um, so they had and they had every senior back on the team. Um, so when I got there my freshman year, the team was pretty much already set. So we had a really really good team. Uh, so I didn't find myself getting into many games. Um, so that was kind of my first obstacle in my long journey. 
So what, um, what was the what were the feelings? Was it frustration because you're you're so used to you know being the guy on the court, or what was it like to sit on the bench? It was it was a it was a lot of frustration, and I, you know I'm like anybody else. I get you know I, I I got upset, and you know I'm competitive, so I said I really should be out there. Um, but again, I think the work the work ethic is what got me over the hump. Um, it didn't deter me. It didn't make me. So you didn't shut uh, down. You just quit. funneled right. that right. energy into working harder. Right. Yeah. We had a uh, we had something at school. It was called the gun um, that rebounded uh, all your shots for you, and you could get up, get out there, and shoot hundreds a hundred shots, and the net would just catch all the balls and fire them back out to you. So, in between classes, I would be out there with the gun. Um, shooting, working on my ball handling, um, in the weight room lifting. So again, just making that sacrifice of not going back and just playing Xbox or right. you know things like that, and it ended up paying off. Because um, by the end of the season, I'd gotten in a few games, uh, nothing some nothing substantial, but it it paid off. And then going into my sophomore year, uh, it was really worth it because a lot of those seniors were graduating, um, so I had a really really good opportunity to start going into my sophomore year, right. um, which kind of leads into my story, um, was after after my freshman year, um, I made up my mind that I was going to do whatever it took to become uh, the starting point guard that following year, and uh, I said, I to- literally told myself I was going to work harder that summer than I'd ever worked in my entire life, um, and I, I did. I worked harder uh, that spring and summer than I'd ever worked before, but it was it was just learn how to walk again. Um, you know, it's not something that I had ever envisioned or thought you yeah, know, it could be possible. You never but. think that something like that would ever happen to right. you. And I thought the same thing with with my injury right, too. Right, I'm sure you could relate. <clears throat> so, can you explain like the the details? Like, what were you doing when you, when you had the stroke? Yeah. Kind of go through like. Yeah, that, yeah, that absolutely. So we were. It was uh, it was March 26, 2009. Uh, I'll never forget it. Rainy Thursday. Um, we were doing an off-season workout. We were actually doing a lot of plyometrics, some box jumps, some ladder drills. Um, and then when that was over, the re- most of the team went back to their the dorms and hung out. Um, but I called one of my friends over and I said, do you want to go lift weights? Again, I wanted to put in the extra work. And we went and we started lifting. And then probably 20 minutes into the lifting session, I got this piercing headache, uh, the worst headache I've ever felt in my entire life, and that's that's what you that's how strokes are described. When someone has a stroke, they say that they it's the worst headache they've ever had in their entire life. Um, out of nowhere, I just got this pop right in my head, and I told my buddy, I said, "Listen, I got to sit down. You know, something's not right. My head's killing me." Right. Um, I waited a couple minutes. I got up. I thought, you know, I was fine. Whatever. So I had the a headache. headache. Went away? It it didn't go away, but I thought it was just a headache. Right. So I just figured I'd just keep lifting. Um, walked up to the dumbbell rack and I lifted up a dumbbell with my right hand, no problem. Went to lift up the same exact weight with my left hand and it didn't budge. So I literally I thought that it was weird because I thought there was something wrong with the weight. Right, I, I, I thought there was something wrong with the dumbbell. You go to lift something up, especially if you just lifted it with one hand yeah. to go lift the same exact thing with your left. Um, so I literally I called my friend over. I said, Brandon, come here, man. Something's wrong with this weight. Can, can you lift it up? And sure enough, he comes over. He lifts it up. There's nothing wrong with the dumbbell. And he must have seen something in me that uh, just didn't look right. So he said, yeah, Corey, let's go out in the hallway and uh, let's get some water. You know, you, you, don't, you don't look right. Uh, let's, let's just take a break, get some water, see how you feel. Uh, so we went out to the hallway. I got some water, 
and that's when things really just started to spiral. Um, walking out there to the hall, to the water fountain, um, things started to just spin around me. Uh, I did, looking back on it, I could remember um, having some blurred vision and uh, getting really dizzy. Um, but once I got to the water fountain, uh, I was able to drink some water, uh, but things didn't exactly get better from there. Uh, so my friend sat me down against the wall because uh, he was nervous that he didn't really know what was going on. So yeah. he figured, okay, let's just sit down, relax. Um, he sat me down against the wall, and then before I knew it, I was swaying back and forth. You like, couldn't uh, li- control your body? Just couldn't control my body, just trying to sit up straight. Uh, I was swaying back and forth. So this is when we really it set an alarm off for both of us. Um, I know for me, I, I yelled out. I said, Brandon, get some help, man. Something's seriously wrong. So you were wrong. really getting scared at this point? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I didn't know what was going on, but not being able to sit up straight and control myself, swaying back and forth, really set an alarm off. Um, so luckily, we were right around the corner from the athletic training room. Um, so he ran around the corner, yelled, and said, you know, we need help. Uh, came back and lifted me up. We started walking to the athletic training room. And about halfway there, I started to trip on myself. My left leg just stopped working completely. Um, so by the time we got to the athletic training room doors, my arm was around Brennan, and my head was completely down, looking down at my left leg dragging behind me, just my toes dragging on the ground uh, with my leg completely dead. Right. And that's the last clear image I have of that day. That's it's a crazy story, but it, it reminds me of my own story, too, because I same thing, I had the headache. That I was like, oh, it's probably just a headache, and then right. I started getting the blurred vision. And then it wasn't until I couldn't feel my legs that I was like, all right, there's something seriously right, wrong. Right, right, right. Like, I'm starting to freak trait, out. Right. Yeah. yeah. All right, so what was the, the next part of the story? You, you got airlifted to the hospital? No, see, I wish. So that sounds so cool. I know in your story you got, yeah, you got, got a helicopter, helicopter ride. ride out of it. See, that's the best, and that, that's something that I, I'm so je- I'm jealous. You got the helicopter <laughs> ride. My story is kind of boring. All I got was an ambulance ride. Uh, okay. um, no, it, it was raining a lot, so they couldn't. Um, uh, okay. They took me to a hospital. I got really quick help, which was great. They took me to Gettysburg Hospital. Um, that's not a trauma center, so they sent me to the nearest trauma center, which was Hershey Hospital. How far away was that? Um, that's probably a hour and a half drive, and I think they got me there in um, 45 minutes, something like that. So they, were doing, they were doing some yeah. pretty good speed. Uh, I don't remember it, obviously. I was completely yeah, out yeah. at that point. I don't remember my helicopter ride, so. Right. Well, but at least you could say it in your story that you yeah, got yeah, it. I was in there, yeah. yeah. Um, no, so they got me to Hershey Hospital, um, where they did... Uh, a procedure to stop the bleeding and angioplasty. Um, How does that work? Or no, sorry, it was embolism. No, angioplasty. Angioplasty. Yeah, I get. I wouldn't. Know I get confused. <laughs> sorry. Okay, so the angioplasty. So uh, a lot of people know what angiograms are. Is where you you make an incision in your groin and they trace up yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, this wire with a little camera on it, mm-hmm. and a lot. Sometimes they'll go into the heart. Uh, and other times they'll go up into the brain. So with mine, they went up into my brain, um, and they had glue at the end of it. So they went up, they saw the place uh, that I had the, the bleeding f- uh, from, and they injected this glue-like substance to just shut the blood vessel down. Right. Um, they, they also found when they were in there that I was born with an abnormal blood vessel. It was called an arteriovenous malformation. Okay. Um, and that's what caused the stroke was I was oh, just born okay. with this abnormal blood vessel in my brain. Um, and the way that works is 
usually between veins and arteries you have capillaries yeah um, and that's kind of how the blood disperses and goes from the veins to the arteries um, but in my case this arteriovenous malformation is just a lump of the vein and the artery there's no um, there's no capillaries it. in between it um, and it causes a lot of pressure um, and that's what hemorrhage so they ended up just gluing that shut gluing that blood vessel shut there was so much yeah. swelling and um, bleeding that they couldn't do an immediate surgery to get it to get the blood vessel out but they did um, glue it shut so that, that kept me stable for a while did they say that like because you were working out or something that that that's what like set it off or was it just no, they still random... haven't they still haven't said that it, it, it could be but um, they say it was more like a, uh, a ticking bomb sometimes oh, yeah, these uh, AVMs hemorrhage and sometimes they don't uh, I hit the jackpot and mine hemorrhaged um, and yeah I mean that's that, that's kind of what happened in, in my story just it actually it hemorrhaged all right so can you start talking about your recovery yeah yep so then I was actually I spent 10 days in Hershey Hospital and then I was sent to Kessler which is one of the best outpatient rehab facilities or inpatient rehab facilities in the country definitely on the East Coast, but if not the country. Um, and I spent a month there, which was an amazing time, amazing um, memories there. I was getting neurological return on a daily basis. I was wheeled in there on a stretcher, and the left side of my body was completely paralyzed from head to toe. I uh, couldn't move my fingers, my toes, my leg, my arm. I couldn't do any of that. So um, what, what was your feeling when you woke up and you couldn't move you know, half your body? Oh, I didn't understand it. Um, the doctors would come in, and I don't know. I don't know why they were doing this. Maybe to trigger my brain to start working again. But they would say, "Corey, can you move your left arm?" And I'd say, "Yeah." And then I'd look at it, and it obviously it Wasn't didn't. Moving. It didn't move. So it was. It was a weird feeling because uh, throughout my whole recovery, I never had physical pain. It was more just my limbs weren't working right my, the brain wasn't sending signals to get those limbs working were you frustrated because of that was you were you scared what what were your what were your feelings when you couldn't move your your um, limbs it, a, a lot of some of it was frustration but you know i think one of the one of the most important parts of my recovery was just staying positive the whole time uh so i never really got too upset um they told me from the start that i was most likely going to have a, a good recovery as long as i worked hard um, so I knew that right from the start. If I just continued to work You're gonna be all right. uh, towards my goal, I made it up in my mind really early on that I was going to get back out onto the basketball court because, remember, that was my goal was to be the starting point guard. Um, so maybe it wasn't going to happen this season because obviously I had just had the stroke, um, but possibly the next season. I didn't know what my recovery was going to be like and what type of deficits it was going to leave me with. Um, but I knew that if I worked, I would I would get back, and that's that's really all I had my mindset on was getting back out onto the basketball court. That was my goal, and that kept me going on a daily basis. Not being able to move my my arm, they said, do this exercise, you know, take this dumbbell and uh, try and envision yourself doing these wrist curls or hooking me up to electric stim units, um, several different exercises, um, and I just looked at every single one as okay, I have to do this. I'll get back out onto the basketball court. Right, and that's really how I approached it. Um, what was your support system like during this time? Oh, man. I mean, that's I, I was so fortunate. My family's great. I come from a great, loving family. Um, cousins, you know, mom, dad, brother, um, you know, grandparents, they were all there for me all the time. Um, coaches, friends, 
teammates, everyone was always there for me. Some of the hardest times were uh, when I was at Kessler um, because I had therapy three times a day. It was an inpatient facility, so I had to stay there. Now, most people work during the day, so I didn't always have company throughout the day. So I went to my therapy sessions, and then I went back to my room where I was by myself in a, in a wheelchair, or they put me in um, for a long time. They just put me in my bed, and I kind of just laid there by myself. Uh, and all I really had was the cards around me that people sent me, um, and that's really all I had. But, again, my support system... Uh, I had family and friends come and visit me from work. They drove an hour or two hours away to come see me and spend time with me. Um, my mom, I don't know how she did it. She drove an hour after work. She would leave work at like 5 or 6 o'clock, drive an hour up to Kessler, spend a couple hours with me, and then when I had to go to bed at like 10 or 11, she drove home and then did it all again every day. Right. Um, so, I mean, my support system was just amazing you think that had a lot to do with your the the speed of your recovery absolutely yeah absolutely because i think one of the most important things aside from just hard work is um a positive attitude and one of the best ways to keep a positive attitude is to have a positive uh support system around you and always having people there to lift you up and tell you that you're going to get through this um so it all kind of just blends. It all blends together. I right. think that so was a huge part of it. For people who are listening to this and are going through some sort of recovery, surrounding yourself with people who are gonna, you know, bring you up and not down is, is right. vitally important. It right. Sounds like right. Yeah, and when I talk to people who share their stories with me about possibly one of their friends or their son or their mom or their dad, I tell them that from the the injured person's perspective the support system around them is so important. So I tell these people that, listen, the more you're there for your friend or your mom or your dad or your, your son or daughter, the better their recovery is most likely going to be. Let me, I can't tell you enough um, how important that is. So just try to be there for them as much as you possibly could because awesome. I promise it will make a, a difference in their recovery. So overall, if you could pick like one thing that was the biggest obstacle in your recovery, uh, could you just tell us what that was and what your strategy was to kind of overcome that? Um, it doesn't have to be one thing. It could be a, a period of time or... I, yeah, I would say my one, because I, I am human, um, so I did have, I, I was very positive and that kept a good, you know, that gave me, a, allowed me to have a great recovery. Um, right. But I am human, so I had down times. I, when I got back to school my sophomore year, um, I was depressed. I had hit, pretty much hit rock bottom. Yeah. Um, I wasn't able to play basketball. I thought that if I worked hard at Kessler and over the summer, then I'd be able to go back to school and at least play and participate in practice. Um, but I couldn't do any drills in practice. So when the rest of my team was out doing, um, you know, scrimmaging and doing plays, uh, I was on the sidelines, just kind of hanging out and trying right. to help them in any way that I could. And that was. That was the hardest time for me. Um, I was struggling academically when I first got back. I had a ton of things going on, um, and I just didn't feel like myself. I, I felt uncomfortable around a lot of my friends. Um, uh, I didn't know what to say to them. Uh, so I think when I got back to school, it was really the time frame that was the hardest. That right. was the biggest obstacle. It was just when I got back to school um, a sophomore year. So it was kind of just getting over the hump uh, of that. And when I, when I talk to people, I, I like to say that uh, you know, overcoming any obstacle really starts by taking the first step. Um, so what I did was I reminded myself what my goal was. I said I want to get back out onto the basketball court. So all those obstacles and all that depression uh, that I was going through, 
um, you know, I knew I, I refocused and I said, all right, I got to get back out onto the basketball court. Um, so I'm going to do anything in my power to do that. So that kind of got me through that. Uh, one of my favorite motivational speakers actually is Eric Thomas. Um, I listen to him all the time. Anytime that I'm even going through struggles now, you know, today, I listen right. to him. Um, and he says that pain is temporary, uh, but qu- it's quitting that lasts forever. Right. Um, so I like to think of it, you know, that time frame, you know, when I was in my deepest of times, if I, if I would have quit, that would have lasted forever. But that pain, you know, I'm here telling you today that I got through that pain. Right. So anyone that's going through any struggle, if they just keep in mind, uh, if they have a goal, you know, that they're trying to achieve, if they keep in mind that whatever pain they're going through uh, will eventually go away, it'll subside. Um, but if they quit, it'll be there forever, and right. they'll never achieve that goal. It, it's easier said than done, but um, that worked for me, and I think that's if people think that way, it'll definitely help them. Right. Um, your story is even more like similar to mine, too, because my injury happened my senior year of high school, but I didn't really like fully recover until like the end of senior year, so I was really going into my freshman year at Rutgers, and I didn't have football anymore. I didn't have like you know my friends. I didn't have. It was definitely like the darkest period, like you know, of my recovery, where I was just yeah, I was depressed and I didn't feel like myself. And it wasn't until I really I started working for the Rutgers football team that I kind of got out of my funk a little bit because it kind of gave me purpose. But at the same time, it almost kind of sucked watching people do what I wanted to do. Right. And I, I don't – did you – when you went back to school, did you work as, like, a manager until you could get back on the team again? Or how would that work? And kind of what was your – what were your thoughts when you were, you know, seeing your teammates play and then you were, you were struggling? Yeah, I mean, I, I – you know, I, I'm not upset when uh, people describe it as a manager, but I, I always viewed myself as just another player on the team. Right. Um, you know, and I never get upset with anyone that says manager because it, essentially that's what I was doing. I was helping – uh, with the water and doing things like that, helping yeah, the team any way I possibly yeah, could. Exactly. Um, but I viewed myself as just another player on the team, um, helping out in practice, working with the younger guys to help them get some of the plays down. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was tough watching you know all all my other teammates out there practicing, and you know I know you can relate. Yeah. Uh, you're on the sidelines saying, "Man, like I wish I was out there." Um, and there's something that I'll never forget. Someone once said to me. They were doing sprints, and he said, man, like, I wish I was you right now. And I was like, dude, you have no idea, like, right. what I would do to be out there sprinting and huffing and puffing and ready to, right. you know, faint. You have a whole new appreciation for uh, right. for the, the, the shitty stuff that, right. that goes on yep, in practice exactly. and stuff when you can't do it anymore. Right, yeah. Um, so how long did it take before you, you got back to your senior year, like your recovery, and can you kind of talk about um, – when you did get back back into playing again? Um, yeah, so I mean, the neurological return uh, pretty much stopped after about two years, but I continued to um, do therapy and work on my strength. Uh, and I did do a lot of basketball-specific things. I worked on left-hand dribbling and shooting, because uh, again, that was my goal. No matter how good of a recovery I had, I wanted to bring my basketball game to its highest level. Um, and by senior year, I was able to uh, run at a decent pace and dribble with both hands and shoot, uh, you know, from threes and everything like that. Um, I, I still wasn't able to get in the game um, or to play, you know, full speed, but I got into a point that I was pretty happy with. Um, I was able to do non-contact drills in practice. I was running suicides with my teammates and 
even though I finished last every single time, uh, it was great. You know, my teammates would always cheer me on, uh, watching me go. You know, finish the finish the sprint. Didn't matter how far behind I was, they were yeah. happy that I was out there running with them because I think they finally understood what it meant to me to be part of the team again. Yeah, it's awesome. <clears throat> so, can you talk about the game when uh, you you scored your your first point? Yeah, yeah. It actually it started uh, the night before. I got a phone, and I wasn't expecting this. It was our senior game. Um, so the tradition uh, in senior games is you start your seniors. Um, I got a phone call uh, from one of my captains. I was elected to be one of the three captains of the team. Oh, my, well, let's backtrack a little bit. Year. What was it like to be named captain? Again, something I wasn't expecting. That was that was awesome. Um, I mean, I was there was. Two other seniors that were on the team that you know I knew were going to be captains played a big role in the team um, from a leadership standpoint. Um, and to hear my name called was just wow. I mean, that really that really showed that really showed me that that really showed me that my teammates appreciated you know all the hard work that I'd put in and um, just appreciated me even being there, even though I wasn't out there scoring 25, 30 points a game. Right. Um, I was there cheering them on and you know working in practice and working as hard as I possibly could. Um, and so yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't expecting that in a million years, and that I mean, that just felt great to be named captain. Yeah. So, what what was going through your head when you were walking up to the the foul line to to take your your first shot? Oh, okay. Sorry, I, I just want to backtrack and say okay. kind of how how it started. Okay. With yeah, the, yeah. So my one of the other captains uh, called me the night before because again, um, I I couldn't play full speed, so. Uh, the two coaches came up with a plan that I was going to start the game and they would sub me out after the tip went up. And right. I got this phone call from my friend uh, telling me that I was going to start. And I remember I was sitting in the parking lot um, after practice that night and I, I heard the words, Corey, congrats, man, you're starting tomorrow. And, man, I mean, I just started to cry. Tears just started, like, pouring out of my eyes because it was pretty much, you know, three years of hard work, you know, blood, sweat, and tears. And right. it was like damn, like, did I, it, yeah. I did it, like, I'm going to get back out onto the court. Um, so then the next day, you know, a big day for me, um, it, it happened exactly the way we planned. The ball went up. Uh, the other team actually got the ball, but one of the guys was nice enough. He gave me the ball, so I took a dribble, um, and I rolled it out of bounds. I'll come back to that point uh, later on. Um, but I rolled it out of bounds, and I got subbed out. And that was, you know, that was it. That was the, the Corey Weissman story in a nutshell. It's right. like kid has a stroke. He's, you know, the left side of his body's paralyzed. He sets a goal to get back out into the court. Um, he gets and it. And he did it. Listen, it didn't matter if I played 40 minutes. I, I probably was on the court for six or seven seconds, if that. But it didn't matter. I set a goal and I accomplished it. Um, but, you know, sure enough, that wasn't the end of the story. The end of the game, probably a minute left, we're up by 20 points, so my coach calls a timeout and asks me if I want to go back into the game. So obviously, uh, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, obviously, yeah, I want to go into the game. No, uh, I'm good. Right, yeah, no, no, I'll take the, that seven seconds of, you know, spotlight was yeah, good, yeah. that was fine. Um, no, so I went back into the game, and this was awesome because I was, this wasn't planned, I was running up and down the court, and um, even if it was only for a few times, I got the ball, I passed it, you know, to the next guy, and um, like I said, this wasn't orchestrated or anything like that, so I just felt like a basketball player again. Um, and then with about 20 seconds left to go, the other coach calls a timeout. And no one really knew what was going on. He was down 20 points, and he calls a timeout. Um, but then one of their coaches kind of signals over to our team that they're going to intentionally foul me uh, to put me at the free throw line. We were in the double bonus. 
Um, so we draw up a play, and it was cool because we were in the timeout, and my coach, I mean, it was easy. I just could have just walked up to the ball. They could have passed me the ball, and they would have fouled me. But it was cool. My coach drew up a, an inbounds play. Someone came and set a screen for me. So again, little things like that, like seeing my name on the um, on the on the board and having them, you know, someone run a play for me, it was just cool, really yeah. cool. Little things like that that you, you know, take for granted, um, was really cool, and I appreciated him just doing that. Um, so I got the ball. They intent they fouled me, and uh, I had a chance to go to the line and score. So I'm running down the court. So I was sitting. Yeah, what's going through your head at this point? You freaking out or? <laughs> I was sitting the, like the whole entire game, and all of a sudden, you know, I never even thought this was going to happen, all of a sudden I'm running down the court, I have a chance to score. And it's like, obviously, you know, like I said, again, I'm human. I have butterflies, I'm nervous, yeah. I'm like, wow, like I better not, you know, mess this up. <laughs> um, so I go to the free throw line for my first shot, and again, butterflies, chills, just nervous. Um, I'm a good free throw shooter, uh, but obviously this is a little different uh, situation. I ended up missing the first shot. Um, on purpose, and you'll see why later. Um, missed the first shot, but no. So then I get the ball back on my second shot, and for whatever reason, all the butterflies and chills that I ever had that I had uh, just went out the window, and it was the most confident shot that I'd ever taken. I knew as I was going through my routine, all I had to do was just put the ball up, and it was going to go in. Uh, there was no way that after all that hard work that I'd put in. Um, those last three years that it was going to go to waste and I wasn't going to take advantage of this opportunity. So sure enough, I put it up and nothing but net. Awesome, um, yeah. And I mean, I, I, I was I, like I, to hear that sound. I, it, it was unreal. I mean, I, I've heard it hundreds and thousands of times before. Right. You know, it's always nothing but yeah. net when I shoot. <laughs> but um, no, that was. I, I think the crowd was even. Uh, going crazy before I even heard the sound. To be honest, yeah. Every, everyone was just off their feet, and it was, it was awesome. I don't even, I almost don't even remember uh, what it felt like because it just felt like a million bucks, you know, right after the ball went through and everyone started cheering. Yeah. Um, so I was kind of running back, and if you watch it on video, I kind of just trot back. Um, I've gotten criticism saying I should have run back on defense as a joke. Oh, but, okay, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, someone actually commented on uh, one of the YouTube videos and said, yeah, great shot, but you didn't even run back on defense. <laughs> of course, uh, yeah, there's always I, that guy up Right, there. right, yeah, I didn't mind that. Um, but, yeah, no, it was unbelievable. It's like in a, never in a million years. Not only did I you know, get back out of the court, but I scored a point. That's um, awesome, yeah. And it was just it was a, a, you know, a true sign that if you put in hard work and dedication and make sacrifices, keep a positive mindset, uh, keep your mind uh, set on a goal, um, you could accomplish anything. I mean, you don't let any, any speed bumps get in the way uh, or get you down. You see a speed bump, you, you face an obstacle, um, you take that first step to get past it, just make it up in your mind. You're going to do whatever it takes to overcome it or literally uh, take the first step, go outside, work on your game. Um, go work on you know playing your instrument instrument it doesn't matter um whatever you set your mind to you, know, you can accomplish and you know the sky's the limit when it comes to that awesome um, yeah that's a great message for for anyone out there um so they actually obviously this is a really inspiring story so they actually made a movie about this so can you talk about that process and uh like when were you approached uh, about making the movie and what were your thoughts about that yeah i mean Really, it was actually the day that um, the day that I scored the point after the game. Obviously, everyone was all excited. 
Um, and, you know, everyone was coming up to me and saying congrats and how happy they were for me. And uh, one of the assistant coaches said, Corey, just watch, man, this is going to be big. And I didn't really expect any of what happened, you know, what was to come in the future. I never expected any of that to happen. Um, and then within a day or two, a local newspaper around Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, um, reached out to our sports uh, media person at Gettysburg and uh, wanted to do an interview with me. So I did an interview with him. Um, and then it almost seemed like every day or two, uh, it just continued to snowball and more and more people wanted to do interviews. And it started out as local newspapers, local newspapers which was awesome. I mean, I was interviewed before uh, in high school for minor things like right. scoring, scoring a uh, winning goal in a soccer game. It's a little bit different um, talking about that, uh, giving a two sentence answer yeah, on that. Exactly, yeah. um, but uh, then it, you know, it started to get crazy. The sports media guy came in and said, "Court, you know, Yahoo Sports wants to do an interview with you." And I was like, "Yahoo well, Sports." Yeah, it's getting what? bigger and bigger, right? And all my friends at this point are saying, "Corey, just watch, man. You're going to be on ESPN." You know, and they're saying all this crazy stuff, and I'm like. ESPN. I'm yeah. just a small Division three, you know, small white guy playing basketball. <laughs> okay, I scored a point, big deal. Um, and then he comes in and he's all excited um, because at the Division three level, um, you're not a small Division three school. You're not really you thinking, okay, ESPN and right. things like that. So when ESPN knocks on your door and says, we want to come to your campus and do a special, it's kind of um, alarming. It's it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. It's cool. awesome though. Um, so I was like, oh my god, you know, ESPN. That's insane. So ESPN comes and they do the special. Um, and that's what really put things on the map. Uh, it was on YouTube, so that's how you know it initially started. It was on YouTube, and uh, you know it had gotten all these views um, just of my shot alone. Um, and then ESPN came to campus uh, to do the special, and the uh, the director of the special, the one who was running the whole show, yeah. um, called me on the phone to try and you know ask me a couple questions just to set up and talk about what the process was going to be like. Um, and I know one of the first things that I obviously asked him was, um, "Is Aaron Andrews going to be interviewing me?" <laughs> I mean, obviously, if you're getting, if you hear you're getting a, you know, an ESPN interview, you're like, right. "Okay, I hope it's Aaron Andrews." <laughs> um, so he started laughing. Obviously, he hears that a lot. Yeah. Uh, he's like, "Nah, man. Like, I'm sorry, it's not Aaron Andrews, but I promise it'll still be cool. You know, we'll, we'll make we'll make it cool. Um, you still want us to come, right?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah." Um, so they came. They did this special. It was it was so cool. Um, you know, I was mic'd up for practice, and they did this, you know, photo shoot. Um, and then w once that went on uh, TV, that, that aired live on uh, College Game Day. Um, I forget the exact date, but um, then it was on Outside the Lines a couple times. Oh, wow. Um, with uh, Bob Lee, yep. who, I interest love that interestingly show, yeah. enough, uh, uh, Seton Hall grad. So fast forward oh, now right. at Seton Hall, uh, Bob Lee. Um, you know, told my story, so we'll have to connect someday. Yeah, that's cool. Um, but yeah, so then again, it kind of just continued to snowball. Uh, I was sitting in class, this is a good one, I was sitting in class one day, and uh, I get a text text message from my friend, and he's like, dude, you were on SportsCenter Top 10 today. And I was like, and, and this is this is my friend who is the biggest, you know, jokester of them right, all. Right, so you didn't believe him at first? Yeah, I didn't yeah. believe him in a million years. And, it's like, dude, I was sitting there eating my Fruity Pebbles, and, you know, I hear, uh, you know, at number 10, Corey Weissman, um, you know, he's like, and I, you know, I heard your story, and I was like, 
No way. So I ended up, I ended up seeing it later. Uh, so now when we backtrack to uh, in the game when I got the ball and I took one dribble and rolled it out of bounds. Right. Um, I think I could have been a little bit higher on the uh, top ten. I got number ten, but I think if I would have spun the ball on my finger, gone between the right, legs, or something, something like wild, that, yeah. I would have got lower. You know, a better you know number than number ten. But I, I can't complain about being on. Yeah, Sports most people can't say they're on Sports right, Center top right, ten. So. Right. Um, but yeah, so that was pretty cool. Um, and then again, it just continued to snowball. Uh, guys from uh, LA came and uh, approached me about making the movie. They got in touch with uh, some people on campus because they were interested in filming it on Gettysburg uh, campus. And they had a plan. And um, you know, they approached me. They said, "How does this look? Would you be interested?" Um, and at first, you know, I, I was like, I definitely, I want to do a movie because there was a couple other people that approached me as well. Um, one thing I was worried about was uh, the movie being accurate. Right. I was going to ask you about that. Like, what I watched the movie before our interview, and from what you said, it sounds very like the movie was very accurate. Right. So I was going to ask you, like, what discrepancies were there right, in right, the storyline? Right. right. So that was the big thing was we wanted to make sure that um, it wasn't too dramatized and that uh, my story was actually being shown. Um, so it's a pretty found, dramatic story, so it doesn't really need right, much right, enhancement. Right, exactly. Yeah. They could just do it. Yeah, I, I set it up perfectly for them. Um, that's why I missed the first free throw, obviously, to for dramatic effect. <laughs> um, they probably wouldn't have done a movie if it was uh, a thousand to two. A thousand to two. It's not really a big deal. So the movie's called A Thousand to One. Right. You, yeah, because you were a thousand points scored in high school, and then you scored one point in, right. in college. Right. Yep. Um, yeah. So a thousand to two doesn't sound as good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, so they came to me with the plan, um, and they put together the contract, uh, and I looked it over, and um, I had a ton of opportunities to go over the script with them. They ended up coming to uh, my house for a weekend, actually, or three days, Memorial Day weekend, um, and interviewed my, uh, my family, and it was pretty much just a casual interview, sat down and talked for three days straight. Um, there was there were questions you know that they, need, they needed to be answered, but they kind of just wanted to see you know what my family was like, more about what what I, what I was like as opposed to just listening to me um, do interviews. They wanted to just talk to me as a person, right? Um, to really understand who I was and who my family was. Um, uh, they went back and they put together a script. Uh, they sent it. Um, there were a couple things that you know we asked to be changed, and they ended up changing. Uh, some things just as simple as uh, f- for uh, more accuracy from a medical standpoint. Okay. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, which side the cane was being held on, small things like that um, that we asked to have some changes made on. But they, right from the start, the first, uh, the first script that they sent us was, I mean, it was my story on paper. There were a few things that, you know, weren't exactly the same, but... Were you uh, as much of a ladies' man as they portray, too? Well, that's the thing is everyone says was that um, a second girlfriend in college real, and I said no, I didn't have a second girlfriend in college, but they didn't want to hire a hundred actresses to play all my girlfriends uh, in college. All right. Yep. So they only had they, they, they only had wanted the two, to hire yeah. one actress, right, <laughs> to play my girlfriend in college. So, so they, did you really have the the girlfriend while this was all going on too? Yeah, I did. I did. I had a girlfriend. Um, Is that really how it went down, too? It didn't. It that, that's not how it went down. And that that that's a tough thing because uh, it made her look bad. It, it did. It made her look really bad. Um, I I haven't actually talked to her about the movie either. Uh, we don't talk too much um, anyway. But uh, I do feel bad. I reached out to her right from the start, 
And I said, listen, um, you know, they're making a movie about my story. We had already broken up, you know, a long time okay, ago. Yeah. Before, before, um, before the movie, obviously, we broke up. So in the movie, uh, Corey's girlfriend at the time, it, it, it says that she, like, wanted to break up with him because it was too hard for her to handle with his recovery and his depression and his ups and downs like that. So it really portrayed her to be kind of a, I don't know, a bad girlfriend. Right, right, so right. So this is the, yeah. Yeah, um, so I, I reached out to her right from the start. I said, listen, um, you know, they're, gonna, they're making a movie about this. You know, this, don't, don't even think that you're this girl. Like, don't even relate yourself with this girl. This isn't you. They're going to change it up. They're going to make it a completely different person. Um, you know, I promise, like, this is not you. Right. I don't want people to think that, even yeah. though now it, it's kind of, that's just how it is. People are going to think that that's what my first girlfriend did. Yeah. But this is your um, chance no. to, to tell the world. Right, but okay, in, you know, in reality what happened was um, I just had so much going on. Uh, she was there for me the whole summer um, after the stroke, and yeah. uh, it was tough because I mean, we couldn't do anything. I couldn't um, – it was a while before I was even able to walk with a cane, so I was really just sitting on the couch um, playing video games. We would watch movies and stuff, um, but we really couldn't do much, uh, so it was hard. Um, but we were both 19 – uh, so we were young, and um, there were some arguments about, you know, some stupid things. Um, and then it, it came time to go back to school, and I was just like, I just have too much going on with therapy and going back to school and, you know, everything. Um, I was like, you know, I just don't think it's going to work out. So I, I actually was the one that said um, that, you know, that we should break up. Right. Um, so she she isn't. Uh, the the bad person that they um, the portrait, made her, yeah. made her look like, um, and I, I asked them not to uh, put that in the story, but they obviously needed to um, for right, dramatic to, effect. Yeah, exactly. But um, yeah, that that isn't how it happened, and it, it's actually funny because I've heard some good stories. Uh, a friend of mine teaches at the high school that I went to, yep. and said that he he showed the movie to his class, and he was like the girls in the background got up and started cursing and screaming <laughs> and, like, wanted to, like, kill this girl. Yeah. She, they were like, how could they do that to him? Yeah. He had a stroke and, you know, effing this, and they're, you know, they're cursing. <laughs> and he's like, you, you would have had to been there to believe it. <laughs> he's like, and these girls wanted to know where she lived. They were oh, like, wow. you know, I'm going for this one. Like, she's, I can't believe she would do that to him. Um, so some good stories there as far as that's concerned. But, that's funny. Uh, but no, so that's not... Uh, you know that's not how it actually went down. Do you have you watched the movie? Do you watch the movie like often, or you watched it once? You're like, ah. Uh, I've actually I watched it so many times uh, in the beginning. Actually, I haven't. Um, I when I saw it um, maybe a month ago with a family friend. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't watch it all the time. <laughs> does it bring uh, back memories? Like, do you, does it bring you back to that point in time and just like? Conjure up some emotions. Or? Yeah, yeah. When I when I watch it, um, I know I was crying watching it, so <laughs> yeah. and laughing too. Right. I would definitely recommend it for anyone listening to this to to download it on iTunes. Where, where else can you find it? It's on Netflix. That's probably on Netflix. Yeah, so, okay, on Netflix, uh, Amazon, uh, like Amazon Prime or anything like that. Okay. Um, so what? Yeah. What emotions does it bring back when you when you watch it again? Um, I mean, as far as. Uh, you know, the down times when I was depressed, it kind of brings me back to, it doesn't make me upset, but it's, it kind of reminds me of where I was at, because I do sometimes forget, um, 
how how down I was, you know, at the at the darkest moments of my recovery. Right. Um, so when I do see it, and I saw it a lot in the beginning when it first came out, I probably watched it um, like five or six times with different family members and with the producer and director and all of them, um, and at the premiere, obviously. Um, so it kind of reminds me of how I felt at that time. Um, I know where I'm at now, and I'm very happy with uh, the way things panned out, my recovery, um, and what the opportunities that this movie's you know given me. Um, you know, I just want to get into. I get messages from people all over the world now that it's on Netflix. Um, I have a, a public Facebook page just of my name. Um, if anyone wants to, you know, just like the page. Um, and I'm so fortunate. Yeah, I get, I'll put that in the show notes so people could give that a like. Yeah, yeah. Um, thanks. Um, yeah, so I get messages from uh, people all over the world telling me their stories, telling me that they saw the movie, that um, that it inspired them, that they heard, um, you know, about this kid who had a stroke, and they're like, well, you know, I had this, I had a stroke, or I had this medical condition, so I watched the movie. Um, and... To hear, to hear that my story was able to um, help someone else in their darkest of times, it's great and it makes me feel good when uh, people like the movie and are inspired by it. Um, you know, just people that aren't going through struggles. I mean, everyone's going through struggles, but for, you know, just your everyday person um, who likes the movie and says it's inspiring um, is awesome. Uh, you know, I'm able to uh, help them in any future obstacle that they may face, but when I hear that someone's going through a really tough time um, and they're at that darkest you know moment and they they watch my movie and it you know gets them you know going on their feet again and, you know working and uh, trying to achieve their goals and overcoming that obstacle there's I mean that's that's what brings meaning that's to you, right? that that makes it all worth it I mean yeah, I know in the movie you kept saying like uh, everything happens for a reason yeah and I always thought the same thing initially you're like why the hell did this happened to me like what reason did this right. happen I don't know and if, now I know yep. right exactly that that like brings that meaning back into it and that's why I'm so glad you came on the podcast because that's exactly what I want to what outlet I'm trying to serve you know for people out there who are right. going through these kind of Obstacles, right? So your your story is perfect. Um, I know you you got to get to to work pretty soon. So uh, what? Now you're an athlete training student at Seton Hall. So what kind of led you down that path? And what are your your goals for the future in term in terms of athletic training and also um, public speaking or anything like that uh, for your your future goals? I know athletic trainers save my life. And then impact on you know right. saving your life too. Right. So immediate care, yeah. Right. Um, yeah. So I mean, I always was considering athletic training or physical therapy um, through my recovery. I worked a lot with both physical therapists and athletic trainers um, when I was at school, and I don't know. I just found a, a love for athletic training, just seeing what they did and how they helped me. Um, so I decided to go back to school to you know get my degree in athletic training because. Um, you know, let's face it, every day an athlete gets injured and regardless of the severity of the injury, they're, they're going to be held out for a day or two. Right. Um, so not only does it make me feel good to help them throughout their rehab recovery, um, I'm able to tell them that, listen, you know, you're going to get back out there. You know, I, I, share, the I, share, yeah. I share my story with some of them and say, you know, you'll, you'll get back out there. This is not something that's going to you know, right. keep you out. Um, you know, just work. You can do, put things in perspective when they're dealing with their knee and you are right. working on moving your limbs. Limb, you know? Right, yeah. exactly, yeah. Um, 
But yeah, so that that's really you know I, I love being there and helping the athletes get through you know their injuries. And I know obviously in your story, um, it's something that an athletic trainer never ever wants to deal with. Right. Um, but you know we do have to be ready for emergency situations like that. Um, that is one of the scariest parts about uh, the profession. Um, is terrible, you know, and serious injuries uh, like yours. Um, but that you know that is something that we need to be uh, be ready for. Um, but yeah, as far as the motivational speaking, I I, I tried to uh, do as much as I possibly could. Um, again, on that Facebook page, I get messages from uh, from people, um, and I've I've had a couple opportunities to uh, to go to different places and speak to schools, and um, I spoke at a college and a couple different um, high schools, and you know elementary, middle school, high schools, and you know college has really been where I've. Uh, done most of my speaking. Um, you know, I'm hoping one day I could do it to larger audiences, possibly like you know, corporation, you know, business corporations, because it really can apply to anything. Right. Um, overcoming any obstacle or achieving any goal. Um, yeah. So I mean, really, my only, as of now, my only source of contact is through that Facebook page. Um, that I, that I feel comfortable at least with you know giving out. It's a great way for people to. It's get, just if people search Corey Weisman. Right. Yep. Yeah, if you just type in Corey Weisman. Yeah. I'll um, link it up. Like I said. You could, yeah. You could just like the page. Um, but yeah, I mean, my, my goal is to you know for the rest of my life to tell my story and try and you know help as many people as I possibly could. Um, someday I want to start a uh, a foundation um, to help stroke survivors um, and do some research on on stroke and. Um, I'm not exactly sure what um, the primary focus of the foundation will be, but I know at some point, someday, uh, I'll have a Corey Weisman Foundation um, for stroke, and I do also want to write a book someday. Um, yeah, I know, perfect, I know that's yeah. in, I know that's in my future. It's just a matter of when. Cool. Um, when all that stuff happens, we'll have you back on, and uh, you could promote that. Um, I've been ending all my, my interviews with one last question. Uh, and it's what's your def what's your personal definition of perseverance? Um, definition of perseverance would be overcoming anything that comes in you know comes in your way, no matter how hard or big of an obstacle it is, um, no matter how much fear or doubt you possibly have pushing all of that aside and keeping your mindset on a goal and having a positive attitude um, and being able to overcome that. So pushing to concise, to make that more concise, taking all that fear, doubt, and uncertainty uh, that you may have about an obstacle that you're facing and knowing that no matter what, you're going to overcome that would be my definition of perseverance. That's a great definition. Uh, thanks for coming, uh, Corey. I really appreciate it. Thanks and for, for anyone who's listening to this, definitely go check out that movie on uh, Netflix or iTunes. Uh, it's definitely truly inspiring. If you want to see Corey uh, spit his game with the ladies at college, um, it, you'll definitely get a lot of laughs and maybe a few tears along the way, but it, it's a great story. Yeah. Thanks, Corey. All right, appreciate thank you. it. Before you even take those little itty-bitty 5-pound, 8-ounce baby earbuds out your ears, make sure you give us a follow on Instagram at Heads and Tails. That's head, like your head, the letter N, and then tails, spelled T-A-L-E-S. Also, make sure to share this with all your friends and subscribe on iTunes.
See you next week.